Want to have safe, kinky sex? Make sure you make your way over to AdamEve.com. Adam and Eve has over 12 million satisfied customers worldwide. Everything from the newest vibrators to classic movies. When you're on AdamEve.com, make sure to enter in the promo code HUSH50. That's H-U-S-H-5-0 to get 50% off almost any one item and free shipping. Do I need to say that again? Free shipping. Make sure you have your kinky safe sex needs satisfied by visiting AdamEve.com. Sex, dating, relationships, and all things kept on the hush. Welcome to Hush, the podcast that brings you the shit you love to hear. Let's slide into the episode. Dropping that sexiness for your ears as we enter another volume of Hush. Welcome to a new season of Hush. On this episode, I feature L.B. Wells. Who is L.B. Wells? L.B. Wells is the pseudonym for a very successful board-certified surgeon, an ambitious physician who made her way through the jungle of medical training while overcoming the resistance of the male-dominated world of surgery. The pseudonym allows her freedom to plumb through the raw truths of her life, including the male prejudices that made her journey so painful. Wells has written a novel that unleashes the ambition necessary for a woman to push through the long road to becoming an esteemed surgeon while discovering sexuality and forbidden love for the first time. Her work is called The White Coat Effect. The story features a protagonist by the name of Rory, a student from a devout Jewish background. Rory is a late bloomer who loses her virginity in her 20s. Her early interactions with men are bumpy affairs that have her wondering what love and sex are all about. With humor and compassion, Wells describes how her mother kept her under wraps and worried more about the upkeep of their elaborate suburban home than her coming-of-age frustrations. And then in med school, Rory falls passionately in love with Amir, an Islamic surgeon from Pakistan. Both families turn against their children when confronted with a love affair that tears down religious boundaries. The resolution of their relationship is a dramatic study of whether love can conquer all obstacles. That bio is courtesy of DrLBWells.com, which is the official website where you can reach her at. Thank you for tuning in to the Hush Podcast. This is Kim. I have my special guest, LB Wells, with me. She is the author of The White Coat Effect, and I want to go ahead and jump right into writing itself. What inspired you to become a writer? You know, Kim, I've always really been a writer, you know, ever since <laughs> early middle school and high school when, you know, I was assigned essays in English class and going forward, I, I just loved writing. The ideas would just sort of come. So it's just one of those, I would say, talents or knacks that I had. I like expressing myself in words better than I do even verbally. You know, it's just, uh, I find it to be a very artful way to express yourself. Uh, you get to take your time and express your thoughts and feelings on paper. And, you know, words are, are very powerful, especially the way you, you combine them together 
So um, once I sort of realized that, I went with it. Words, words really are powerful. It, and yeah. just to find the time to articulate what you're feeling and put it all out there, um, it's to me, it is an admirable form of expression. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And from one fellow writer to another, you know. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do want to ask you, what challenges have you faced as a writer? Well, you know, there's challenges along the way at, at every step, right? You know, so when you first start, the initial challenge is sort of outlining a book and brainstorming what you want to talk about and make sure that, you know, your book has an arc, like a beginning, middle, and an end you know, a climax of Daniel and touches upon all the subjects you wanted to touch on. So that's first. And then I can tell you that the aftermath of writing the book, which I thought would be the easier part for marketing and uh, sales and and um, all that, well, that's been an art in and of itself. And that's that's been very uh, challenging to get the word out there about your book. I don't want to use the word convert, but, you know, convert others into following your book and understanding that what you've written is good and and worth reading. So, you know, that can actually be a challenge, you know, even when you know in your heart that you've written something entertaining, deep, soulful, funny, you know, all of the elements of of either a good or a great book. But then, you know, how do you kind of get others to, to subscribe to that same philosophy and and support you in your writing. That's definitely, definitely a challenge that I've come across. Is the White Coat Effect the only book that you've written so far? Uh, in this series, I have a White Coat Effect two coming out, and I have uh, other other a different name. I have a, another series as well that's meant for younger audiences. How long did it take you to write the White Coat Effect? In the very first version of the book, I wrote it in about six weeks. I had a lot of a lot of things that I wanted to get out on paper, but the rewrites took a couple of years. Rewriting it, making sure that it was um, you know ready for prime time and ready for you know commercial sale. That mm-hmm. part took a lot longer. Did some of your own lessons and love apply to the book? You know, I would say the book is not autobiographical, but it's always write what you know definitely came into play. There's no question that I drew on my own experiences. You know, I took some of my own experiences. I, I changed them and altered them, but I, I definitely relied upon them to be able to write the way that I did. You know, I think that if you're writing something that you've never experienced, it's very hard to capture the sentiments, the feelings, and the relatability of what you're writing if you've never experienced something yourself. So I think it is important that you, you know, write from a place of, of experience. I did have a fun time reading the book. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Um, One of the aspects that I admired was the feminism and the, um, the whole idea of an ambitious woman itself. I felt like that was an underlying, underlying tone of the story. And honing in on ambition and determination, do you feel like ambitious women intimidate some men? And did that play into Rory's own experiences? It's a very good question. You know, I kind of grew up, even though the, even though the book may say otherwise, but I, I grew up truly being taught and believing that there were really no differences between men and women. And I'm not talking about, you know, anatomic differences or sexual differences or 
relationship differences. I'm just talking about from an ambition point of view. I was just, you know, I, I had no realization that I'm a girl and it's different. But as I grew older, I started to see that there were differences, um, that there were different expectations placed on women than were placed on men, pressures to, you know, be the leader of a family um, or propagate a family while, you know, you also maybe have a career, but career maybe come second. There was a lot of, a lot of pressure for that. And, you know, whether or not men got intimidated, I've, I've spoken to men that have admitted to me that they're intimidated by the ambitious woman. Um, and I've spoken to other men who actually have said that, you know, when it comes to dating or relationships, they want woman, a woman to be in the number two seat. You know, other men don't feel that way. Other men want a true co-pilot. But I've definitely come across the attitude that, uh, that there is some intimidation associated with ambition. It, it, you know, it definitely surprised me when I found out that that was a real thing. Yeah, I, I, I see that too sometimes uh, in my own experiences. Just um, With my own personal experience with my ex, I'm not here to bash it. But yeah, there was some intimidation with the fact that I had a bachelor's degree and he had an associate's and just certain things along that level, you know. But that's not what my demeanor was. Mine was the same way that, that you were brought up as well. Like the playing field is even whether you're a man or a woman in terms of ambition. Yeah, and I personally feel that, you know, people should strive to be secure in whatever it is that they're doing. You know, no two people have to do the same exact thing in life. And even if they're in similar fields, there's so there's 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 room. You know, you're not stealing someone else's thunder or spot by being successful. You're just, you know, if you're exerting your own ambition and dominion and power and ideas so the idea that that there's a competition or that one party should be insecure about the other party to me it, it holds no water i'll give you a, a simple analogy you know if somebody gets sick does the other person then get healthy the answer is of course not you don't need somebody to get sick in order for the other person to be healthy by that same token, somebody doesn't need to be poor for you to be rich. Somebody doesn't need to be, you know, unsuccessful for you to be successful. So, you know, I think there's there's plenty of success to be had all around. And so if you follow that sort of credo and, and you know, just sort of philosophy in life, you'll realize that it's, it's a wasted emotion. I mean, the idea of intimidation and jealousy, I think it's a, it's a wasted you know, human emotion. That's, that's one of, one of our lower emotions. It's not one of our higher emotions. I agree with that analogy. Um, bringing it back to the book, the story mentions Rory's goals of becoming a surgeon rather than being the wife of one. Mm-hmm. That was a pivotal moment for her. Can you elaborate on how that shifts the momentum in the book? It was, I mean, Rory was like any other girl. She was smart, but she also wanted to get married and she meets a man, um, not the main romance in the story, but she meets a man who fits the, fits the bill for her and her parents. He's a handsome Jewish man, and uh, he wants to go ahead and be a surgeon. And he rejects her for some sort of European model. 
and you know she experiences the pain of rejection uh the burn and then i know i just talked about uh, talked against jealousy but you know she's a young girl and she feels jealous and it's not the greatest motivation for someone to to, to go into a certain career but she sort of realized why do i have to take uh, play second fiddle to this man i can have my own fantastic career so she sort of realized that at that at that moment that she should not sell herself short because you know she had it in her mind that um at that point in her life she would have to give up some of her ambition stand by her man and and play second fiddle to him so that was a pivotal moment in the book where she realizes no i can be this man's equal if not his superior as i was reading it i kind of got the sense that instead of it being more like her parents dream that's when she kind of made it into her own yes that's why it was a pivotal moment you know i don't think her parents cared if she was a surgeon or a doctor or whatever i think they really wanted that title for her if that makes any sense they wanted that title they wanted her to have the md um and rory was much more concerned with not the title but what is the work about you know what is she going to be doing she wants to help people and use her intellect to actually help people and use use her various talents whatever they what whatever they are to best help people you know musician as i as i mentioned early on and, a, and an athlete she wanted to use her hand-eye coordination in a way that would help people and surgery became a very natural sort of fit and that became an aha moment for her that this is how I can do this and I can do this on my terms and not their terms or anyone else's terms. Picking it back with Rory, the relationship between Rory and her mother seems to be a strained one. Um, Yes. I know that in regards to the advice that her mother gives her about focusing on books rather than looks, I was told that myself growing up. Um, I was even told that the boys would come later. Just don't even worry about them. Just focus on your schoolwork. Um, did you find that to be true with Rory's path in life? Rory was, you know, had a very beautiful mother, and Rory was told not that the boys would would come later, but that they would never come. You know, Rory's mother judged her looks very uh, harshly. So there was there was probably a little bit of selfishness in the story, like there was only room for one beauty queen in the family and that was Rory's mother and she had her own insecurities about her lack of her lack of success in a conventional way so the way what she sort of lorded over everyone else was her looks you know Rory's mom so you know Rory was not allowed to be a beauty in her own right um even though later on she she became attractive maybe not quite as beautiful as her mother, but, you know, certainly beautiful enough to attract plenty of men. And, um, but, you know, all throughout her awkward teenage years, nothing changed. She was awkward. And was it was like the prophecy of her mother coming true, coming to fulfillment. And, um, yes, it caused a lot of strain for Rory and a lot of self-esteem issues for her that she would never be pretty because every little girl wants to be pretty. You know, we don't all have to look alike, but every little girl wants to have their own special something about themselves. 
right? And we're all we're also taught from early on that the only way to get a man is to look a certain way, which is not true, but that's part of our sort of societal message that uh, that we that we're taught. And um, so Rory, from a young age, being told that she's never going to be beautiful, feels that she's going to have a very lonely life. And I think that that makes her, you know, she believes her mother. She's her mother. And Rory's being told that from a very young age. And I think, I think, yes, some resentment brews against her mother, especially as she gets older. And especially as she does then fall in love with, with a man who is not from the right family. He's Pakistani, um, he's Muslim, and her parents don't want to accept him. And so she feels kind of like, well, I can't win, can I? You know, either I, I can't have any man or he has to be exactly the right kind of man. Uh, I met the right kind of man. He just dumped me for a European model. You know, she, she kind of gets put into this uh, box where she can't win no matter what she does when it comes to her parents. So it, it definitely strains the relationship. Kind of led into my next question, some of what you were touching on. Once Rory blossomed into a woman, was that a game changer in her mentality? I think once, you know, she didn't originally realize it. It took her a while to realize that she had blossomed. You know, she was so accustomed to being awkward that she expected the teasing. She expected lack of attention from boys. She expected that girls were, you know, didn't really care about her, didn't look at her as a threat um, or any, anything like that. But once she did, all of a sudden, little by little, she started to realize that she had some power in her looks, you know, um, and, you know, started to, started to understand that, you know, not to say that she could use the, the, her looks to, to, to manipulate a little bit, but certainly she was noticing that people were, were paying attention to her. So things changed for her once that happened. I do know that in med school, she had a friend named Laura. Laura's um, a lot more carefree, enjoys the carnal pleasures as they come. I feel like my personal experience in life, I transitioned from a Rory to a Laura. I want to ask you, was it a challenge to include Laura's perspective of life into the story? I don't know if it was as, as challenging as it might seem because some of Laura's carefree lifestyle rubbed off on Rory eventually. You know, I mean, Rory was definitely more serious and she wasn't looking to sail the high seas and have flings. Um, but she also recognized, I, I, I don't think that Rory was ever really judgmental of Laura's lifestyle. And if anything, she kind of admired it kind of wish that she could be a little more more like that um a little more care, carefree and you know have a fling every once in a while and, and not think that she committed some sort of terrible sin that sort of thing not really care very much about what other people think rory's big problem and what i'll deal with in the second the in the sequel is how to get over other people's approval of her or disapproval of her including her parents and including her, you know, any authority figures or her peers. Um, that's an issue that I think Rory has to tackle, that she still hasn't quite tackled yet. Even with the ending of the book, which I won't give away, 
you know, she does it to some extent, but she, she's got a ways to grow when it comes to, you know, really being empowered in her person and not caring what other people think of her. That's what Laura represents to her. Laura does it at a younger age than Rory does it, but I think she somehow knows that um, Lori's goal, I'm sorry, Rory's goal is not to have flings, but it is to have more of that attitude of not not giving up her power to other people and um, and not worrying so much about what everybody else thinks. I think that's awesome that you're going to expand on that idea. Um, I know with my own life experiences, it took me a while to kind of balance I I feel like me personally I have like a side of me that's like closer to Rory you know the way that I grew up with focusing on academics and excelling and trying to build my own ground of success without having to rely on a man and then there's also that part of me that's like Laura that's had my flings had some fun here and there and that wasn't that it just kind of came with like my divorce and certain um, mood shifts in my life, you know. So I think that's awesome that you're going to expand on that. That actually... yeah. Well, one of the challenges you're talking about, you know, things that do they happen linearly or are they staggered? They happen at the same time. So, okay, what comes first? Your school and your success and your ambition, and then your emotional maturity, or do they happen at the same time, or does one stunt the other? I would definitely say that one stunts the other. Um, you know, I think it's very hard to mature completely emotionally while you're also so focused on maturing professionally. And, you know, I think that each aspect of our person needs require a lot of attention. Just as, you know, um, again, the, the example in this book is becoming a doctor, becoming a surgeon. It required everything for her. So why wouldn't it require everything for her to become a self-commanding adult who, you know, who, who stands, you know, strong, you know, a, a, a self-aware adult? seems like some people just fall into it, but I, I, I actually am not a believer that people just easily just fall into emotional maturity. I think it actually is something that requires the discipline and, and, and work. I agree with that. Um, touching on to what you were talking about, societal expectations. I noticed that's a major theme in the book, and Rory battles with it from religious beliefs, feminism, sexuality. Were those easy subjects to tackle and address in your writing process? Uh, good question. Not simple. Not easy. I had to. I definitely had to uh, sort of flex myself and push myself. Um, to, to tackle these subjects. I, I made the decision when I wrote, sat down to write this book that I was going to tackle taboos. I made the conscious decision that I was going to tackle taboos. I was going to tackle the affair with the married man. I was going to tackle the, you know, just being able to being able to talk with a sexual voice. I was going to tackle the interracial romance between a Muslim and a Jew. I just, I wanted to you know, really part of, part of it was shock value, but the other part of it was just like, I, um, I just felt, you know, if I'm going to write a worthwhile book, it's got to face some 
harsh realities, some difficult realities, and like I said, some taboos. So um, it's never easy to tackle a taboo. They're there for they're there for a reason. Um, you know, you're kind of going against the grain when you do that. But uh, I, I decided that this book, you know, was not going to just be something that people read and put down because there was no tension. Um, in order to create tension, I needed to be able to face some issues that are not always easy to talk about. I totally agree about tackling taboos. I knew that uh, in my own experience, and I'm not drawing it back, but it's just as a human, you just try to relate. Um, doing this podcast, for one, I knew was going to oh, yeah. shut certain doors and open others, you know? So you just yeah. know as you're weighing things out, like, okay, if I say this, I know that this won't get me this opportunity, but it might do this, you know? Um, did you see that as well with, with writing your book? You know, um, I knew that, like, writing the book like this is, is, is potentially uh, controversial and, you know, that there could be some consequences to writing this book because it's, again, controversial and, um, you know, not conservative like my field of medicine which is a very conservative field. But uh, like I told you, you know, writing was coming out of my pores and um, some of these questions and issues and, you know, ranging from childhood pain to, you know, adult experiences. And, and, as, I, and as I've said, it's, the book is fiction, but I, I used it as a vehicle to, um, to express a lot of pain and express a lot of humor and express a lot of different emotions so like I said it was coming out my pores and I I just didn't even feel that I had a choice it's like it it had to come out of me (laughs) I have to admit I read the book in two days I started it at work and then the next day happened to be my day off so I I read it completely (laughs) within two days that's how good I was (laughs) I was going through and just a, a lot of it is relatable stuff you know and no, I haven't been in love with the Muslim, but I'm just saying in terms of like societal expectations, that's a big one. You know, a lot of us tackle these issues that we don't face. So I really admire you just finding the courage to put it out on paper. And oh, well, thank you for thank you. First, that's a huge compliment that you're able to read that book so quickly. Um, and this book is not to suggest that, you know, every person has to go out and have a relationship with, you know, with, with Muslim or somebody of a certain background. It's, it, it's really supposed to be any, you know, um, anyone who, you know, there might be some, some very difficult differences between the two people that they have to overcome. So, you know, it's just supposed to be, you know, I chose it because I knew it had like a West Side Story motif or a Romeo and Juliet motif. You know that's 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 very relatable. You know how many times have your have the parents said we don't want you dating this boy because he has tattoos or something like that, or because because of this because of that. So you know, um, you know maybe that doesn't seem like as ethical uh, of an issue, but it's still um, I I think it's still one that a lot of people can relate to and you know and 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 feel sad over that their parents are not sort of accepting the person that that their child loves yes i've kind of been in that position before myself so definitely relatable 
I do want to switch it up just a little bit. Sure. Those sex scenes were pretty spicy. They did get my imagination going. Were those fun <laughs> scenes to write? Yeah, they were really fun. And, um, you know, I, again, made the conscious decision not just to write sex scenes, but to write smart sex scenes. Because of my physician background, I kind of know what happens to the body in certain states. So I tried to sort of sensually weave in what happens in the body, like the blood flow and the nervous system and, and uh, other components of the body during sex and during certain types of sex acts. For me, that was a challenge, and it was really fun to do that. And I felt like, you know, I'm not just writing a sex scene just to get somebody excited. I'm actually writing a sex scene to not only get them excited, but to actually teach them how their bodies work. That was really fun. I like that. And only if you're comfortable. Were any of those sex scenes based on real life experiences? Every sex scene was based on mostly a real life experience. I just changed the characters. Very awesome. I mean, you know, that when I say that the book was fictional, but I said that you had to write what you know, everything that I put down there is something that I that I know personally pretty much. It's just that I I didn't use whoever the actual person was to write the scene. So that's where the fictional component comes in. They definitely got my imagination going. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. <laughs> what feeling would you love to leave your readers with? Well, I want the readers to come out with a couple of things. First of all, I want them to know that no matter who you are, woman, man, um, whatever the color of your skin is, whatever race, whatever gender, whatever orientation, whoever you are, you, you can do anything. You can do anything you set your mind to. So that's that's number one. And don't let anyone, including your parents or teachers or anyone else, you know, dissuade you from your dreams. I mean, obviously, look, everybody has to have their own day of reckoning and realize what they're good at, what they're not good at. But if you have a dream and and you, you know, feel that you have the skills and the qualifications, go for it. So that's number one. I did want to do a little bit of an expose about what it's like to be in the medical world. So I tried to make that truthful and honest, that it, it is a hard place, okay? It's not an easy path to follow. So I wanted people to come out with both the difficulty of, of, of the path, but then the satisfaction that results when you actually get through it. So that was another. I definitely wanted to titillate and excite people. That was a third goal. And of course, I wanted to, you know, portray the possibilities for love, even in, in, in a life of someone who thought she was never going to find it. You know, so a lot of people think they're never going to find love. And then it comes in the most curious ways. Rory does find love in this book. And she's told most of her life that she never will, that she's not really even worthy of it. So I'm here to sort of show you that everybody is worthy of love. I think that's so. beautiful. It, I loved it. Like I say, I totally recommend oh, thank that you. my audience reads this. And I do want to bring that on to my next question. Where can your work be found? Well, you can find the book um, going through my website. It's www.drlbwells.com. So the doctor is not spelled out. It's dr lbwells.com. There's an S at the end of the 
wells. And then, you know, once you get onto that site, you can just click and it'll take you right to Amazon. The other way is to just go right to Amazon, you know, plug in the white foot effect and it will show up. How can you be reached? Oh, well, first of all, I'm on Instagram at uh, also Dr. L.B. Wells. My TikTok handle is Dr. L.B. Wells. And my Instagram handle, also Dr. L.B. Wells. So you can find me there. And then the email is lbwells2020 at gmail.com. So I don't check that all the time, but I do check it, you know, once every you know week or so. So if anybody wants to ask a question, and I love people ask, to ask questions because I have a blog on my website. So, um, and I'm looking to make it more interactive as this develops. So um, if people have questions, I'm really happy to answer them. Awesome. I love that. I thank you so much for having the time to come on and just chat with me. Thank you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today for another special edition of Hush. You can find us on thehushpodcast.com, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Red Dragons Radio, any Alexa-enabled devices, and all other major platforms. Also, make sure to visit me on Instagram and Twitter at hushpodcast69.